It was hard times. Became homeless, was sleeping in the airport for about two, almost three months, hiding from security guards, sleeping on a bench, going to school in the morning, playing music in blues bars in the night. It was exhausting and I said, this is not the dream I had. It's harder. Is it worth it? Welcome to the Lubo Smith Podcast. I'm your host, Lubo co-founder and CEO of STRV, here to talk to the industry leaders from the tech and startup space and ask them about their tips and tricks they use to operate at the top of the game. Today, I'm happy to welcome Timmy Giro, Innovation Lead of Virtual Experience and XR at Innovation Arena of Volvo Cars and co-founder of The Point Labs. Timmy is a truly inspiring person when it comes to innovation. He has either created or contributed to many patents in VR and mixed reality space. On this podcast, he shares his story of building up his career that did not start that strong when he initially tried to be a musician and did not pan out, to later on be advising some of the biggest companies out there on their future strategy and innovation. So let's dive into the discussion. Welcome, Timmy. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Well, thank you so much for hopping on the show. Before we dive in and we talk all about your role as the leader for innovation at Volvo, I wanted to go and talk a little bit about the inception, where the passion for cutting-edge technology is coming from. Where, How did it shape itself? Yeah, so... I started as a dreamer as a kid, right? So I was watching cartoons, I was reading books, and I was always fascinated by by what technology can do. Like, you know, like playing games at that time. I was reading magazines about virtual reality, about robots. And then, you know, I come from Romania, and, you know, Romania was under communism before and I'm exactly one year after communism fell down. So all the hopes was in my generation to save the nation. And I, have an, I had an uncle that moved to US and he was sending me postcards and news. It's like, hey, I'm in US and there's now a Pentium one. There is like disappeared. And I went to Seattle and I met Bill Gates. You know, he was making up stories. And that gave me... <laughs> Good stories. Yeah, but like that gave me a, a lot of drive. And it's like, wow, I want wants to be like Bill Gates. I want to do this and this and have impact, right? Um, But then as any other teenager, I got distracted and then I wanted to be a rock star instead. So I got into music and guitars and, you know, that was another trip on itself. Yeah. Yeah, well, we can continue with that part of the story right away because to me, it feels like we have a lot, lot in common in a way. And it seems like uh, you had to go through some personal struggles to really establish yourself as uh, a respected person within uh, the tech uh, space. And uh, so how did it uh, play out for you to be a musician? Um, It it was hard. You know, like every keynote or lecture or thing I I present, my title is Snap Back to Reality, Here Comes Gravity. And that is a sum up of events and dreams and 
you know, visions, but when you put them to execution or when gravity hits you or, hey, there's no budget for this, or like that's, you know, when you realize, you know, how hard things really are. And my dream was, you know, to play music, to inspire people, to create, uh, but in the same time, I was still trying to build games, you know, building my own game engines, coding, learning that. But I felt that I didn't fit the system. And I often say that you need a box to think outside a box. So for instance, education system in Romania for me was a pretty big box. Corporate was a big box that I had to learn what the box is to be able to think outside of it. Um, so when I was finishing high school, I told my parents like, hey, I, I'll leave Romania and I'll go to Copenhagen to study. They didn't believe me until the day I got accepted, but I told them that I'm studying engineering, but I went to study music. <laughs> so I took my guitars and went to Copenhagen um, with a friend of mine. And it was harsh. It was hard times. Like we were promised accommodation, but when we arrived there, it's like, hey, guys, this is not available. Um, so became homeless, was sleeping in the airport for about two, almost three months. Um, it was literally like Tom Hanks in the terminal, going, hiding from security guards, sleeping on a bench, going to school in the morning, uh, playing music in blues bars in the night. And then he was exhausting. And I said, well, this is not the dream I had. It's harder. Is it worth it? Uh, but what that built for me was appetite for risk. Like, like throughout the stories, I think I've been homeless maybe three, four times, even after selling my company or things like that. It's, but what I learned is to build resilience, like learning how to bounce back and grow. So I did listen then to my parents and, you know, went to study engineering. They found out about the story 10 years later in a podcast. <laughs> Um, so maybe they will find out even more, even more on the stuff today. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I went to Alborg University in Copenhagen. They opened a new campus. There was like ex Nokia Research Center. When they closed down, a lot of ex Nokia employees put their money together and formed some startups. Then the university came with, you know, new mindset like, hey, let's teach interaction design, innovation. Um, service design, you know, how do we build products? How do we build startups? So it was like cross type of education, right? Like with multiple fields. And that really enabled me to access really amazing people. For instance, the Unity founders that, you know, they started in Copenhagen. Uh, there are like three people, big dreamers. They wanted to democratize game engines to enable more creatives and developers to build, you know, amazing experiences. And I grew up around them, like, right, I was poking them as like, hey, I want to learn, I want to do this and this and this. And they were sending me, it's like, hey, Timmy, build a demo for Lego, uh, go and do something so we can get them as a client or work on the physics engine or try this and this and this. So I was always the demo person. And that what developed was trying to see things in a different way and combine things that have never been combined before, like... What if I use eye tracking or brain waves to do a Jedi game where in Star Wars Lego, you would control the game with your mind and eyes. And this was 2012 where eye tracking didn't really work out and 
brainwaves. Like if somebody had a phone in the building with Bluetooth on, you know, those, <laughs> those things didn't work out well. So that's how I started the appetite for technology and innovation, like combining things together. Like, yeah. And you mentioned risk as uh, an important part yeah. of uh, your career. What, what is your safety net? What do you need to feel like you have uh, some backup because you mentioned you ended up being uh, homeless multiple times in your life. And I find this very inspiring. I'm surrounded by people and, and some of the, from whom, like some of them, they take it relatively safe, right? They always keep a backup. But I also have uh, other friends around me and they go like above and beyond when it comes to taking on the risk because it pushes them. And I think Richard Branson is a great example of uh, someone like that because he laughs or definitely like, you know, in the early days of his career, he would uh, do crazy things uh, to make it uh, in in the business and he would put everything on the line. So what I wanted to ask you is, is there some element uh, of your life where you like things to be in order? Uh, if, if anything, maybe it does not have to be the roof uh, above your head, but something uh, that you can always rely on or you are pretty much ready to go all in. I think over the time what I learned, and this I learned from my babushka grandma, she lives in north of Romania, like she grew up without electricity, she went through wars, she had 13 kids, and she's like a simple woman, right? And I, she speaks like a dialect that I don't master really well, <laughs> but she told me like this really important lesson of um, building a good name values more than any riches in the world, which means that having trust as a currency. And for me, that's this ultimate safety net that I need to be in order that I don't dilute trust. Like when I said that I'll do something that I need to do something and that in itself over time increased its value. And I see now after, and I'm so thankful and humbled by it that after 10 years, people I work with in the past in a certain configuration, they're one phone call away. And even even if they're billionaires now or something, it's like, hey, I actually need help. And, you know, you need to go through that humble process of like, shit, I actually need help, you know. Who do I know that can help with this, right? It's not only you trying to orchestrate everything. So for me, that that's the most important thing. And another thing is, to, to dream like my mission now and I know it sounds cheesy but like what what I do on the side through my lectures and so on it's like still help people to dream because during COVID a lot of them realized that they don't dream anymore or have broken dreams so I do think dreams require a lot of discipline and where there is no vision you can you know drift really hard in life, right? And you find yourself 10 years later, it's like, what did I do? Why am I still here? Um, purpose gives you direction and direction is fooled by passion. Passion is endurance. Like how much are you willing to 
go through it with that dream till you say, yeah, maybe I should do something else or it's not worth it. And that for me, like over my journey, I struggled to understand if I'm a creative or a nerd. Am I a rock star or a engineer? Am I good at art or design or good at coding? And I realized and found, you know, with the new tools and technology that I can do both. I can do creative thinking and critical thinking and that intersection is where magic happens. That's where innovation happens, right? Like to me, it feels like getting to innovation, right? There is so many angles how you can get to it that um, like the opportunities are pretty much endless. But how how do you make this a process? You are an innovation leader at Volvo, mm -hmm. right? And it's a massive organization, right? So it's something different than uh, when you are an individual that wants to dream about what uh, is possible and whatnot, because I assume you have to put things in practice and you have to prove that the value is there, right? And you work on something for a long time. And then finally, when it is getting launched, it's a big celebration, but the process behind it is extremely rigorous. So how do you apply this creative process into practice within a larger organization? Yeah, um, it's been a journey there as well, right? It's been 10 years since I started at Volvo. I was anti-corporations, anti-automotive, like, or not necessarily anti, not interested, right? <laughs> I work with startups before and like creative, um, uh, industries. And as I said, in the beginning, you need a box to think outside a box and <laughs> Volvo in itself was a pretty big box. You know, they had their core values in safety, right? And then past maybe eight years, they started, you know, to change their identity, their design, but still with the core values, you know, freedom to move in a safe, sustainable and, um, personal way and I took that as a mission and I said how do I deconstruct that vision and take certain elements and combine them with other areas to help Volvo secure its future in 20, 30, 40 years and the, the way I started when I joined my boss found me and he protected me and gave me a janitor room where I started a VR lab that now you know there are 50 people using VR and you know it's it started with the janitor room with the paper saying out of order and then we were experimenting <laughs> with the latest things there and, and building simulators and and so on and since then I actually learned I never wanted to play politics the corporate politics going on the ladder you know I was like young and I had different ambitions and I wanted I was inspired by what Unity did. And I said, like, I want to democratize these tools across the company because I found out how inefficient it was. Like there were three or four departments doing the same stuff. They didn't talk to each other. Even as like, hey, but you use the same tools and you have three different deals with the same supplier for licenses. It's like, well, 
what the hell? <laughs> it's like, why, why not building a community so we share and build this competence further? Why not, okay, I have a 3D model of a car and you have the moose for the simulator. Give me the moose, I give you the car, right? <laughs> like starting to trade things. And then I learned that I need to do strategy and tactics in the same time, play the long term game, but understand what's in my hand now and what I need to do. And during this period, probably I saw three or four innovation reorgs in the company, right? Like we tried every type of, you know, satellite offices, like, you know, the Google moonshot model, space 10 model, a Silicon Valley office, you know, uh, an office inside where we, you know, we were running services for the company and different departments, an investment fund, work with startups. What, so we, what in your eyes worked the best? I think the last configuration where I think past three, four years, we were asked by the executive team to form an arena. So I do believe in emergence. So what we did, we said that the prerequisite for emergence is diversity. So we hired and we collected all the misfits from the company and set the right tools and temperature for them to innovate. And insane ideas started like uh, battery management and innovation combined with X XR simulation or um, graph technology combined with um, um, parking and charging strategy or like, you know, so it was like a lot of areas intersecting. And in those, we started to create these clusters of ideas. And those we were spinning off across the company or as a startup or as a competence that we started to build. Um, but a lot of it had to do outside the comfort zone, understanding that if we take four quadrants of innovation, that we had to step out of the current business, current trajectory. With, with the innovation incorporation, it's important to learn how to pay respect it took me a while. Like I was disrespecting the product. It's like, oh, we, I don't want to sell SUVs, you know, in 10 years from now, it's bad for the planet and we want to be sustainable. But in the same time, it's the thing that puts money on the table, pays for your bread. So you need to be, you know, respectful. It's like, yeah, it's because of that we afford to take these risks outside. And the way we build the curriculum there uh, and that, I got inspired also to the studio I started on the side. I've been inspired by Bauhaus movement a lot in the 20s. And that's how we set up the innovation office or uh, Neri Oxman's group at the MIT Media Lab, where she combines biologists, we're computer scientists with data scientists, and they create, you know, novel things and novelties in those new ways of intersection. So more than thinking like an expert or a generalist, you think like a producer. And that's why you need to think like a producer and a curator, decide what not to do. Because, you know, we were talking on the way here that sometimes if you put too many things on the plate, you either think that if you don't continue pushing it so hard, you will lose interest or passion or that spark. Or if you just curate and focus only on one thing, but you don't combine it with other, right? Like it, it, it's pretty hard to find novel ways to build things. So with Bauhaus movement, 
like I don't know, like you look at the iPhone, the Dove soap bar, Arne Jacobsen chair, they all come from the same school of thought in the twenties. Like they studied how light reflection breaks on a plastic that or metal and that you see on the corners of an iPhone if you look at it how the light curves around the, the shape. The dove soap bar, the shape of it, it's so ergonomic to hold in your hand. And those principles of aesthetics, functions, dynamics, it's like people would recognize it. Yeah, it comes from that, those principles. So I was thinking, how do you make things recognizable? That even if you work for a variety of clients or projects or things, you can trace them back to the same core values, like the same set of tools. Like, oh, of course it's this department because they always talk about non-car or like they talk about safety, but from a healthcare perspective or society perspective, not about the SUV perspective, right? So that was a bit, some of the ideas that started to grind uh, during the time. And what, what has been uh, one of the projects that you worked on within Volvo that you are the most proud of right now, if there is one to mention? Yeah. There are, there, are, there are quite a few. So it's like one is like the whole simulation pipeline where we are able to test a lot of safety features that are either too dangerous or too rare to test in real life. So we use synthetic data and engines like Unity where we can replicate specific scenarios. Um, but the most proud of, and I think that had most impact on my career, that's why I started to be recognized as a thought leader was the project with VR and mixed reality. So about six, five, six years ago, together with Vario, this startup, I think that project had all the elements of do the right things right. Not only doing the right things or doing things right, but doing the right things right. Meaning that we went, we found a startup in Finland. They were building this most insane headset in the world we built IP together. We asked the investment fund from Volvo to invest in them in Series A and C and D, uh, you know, like really show support. And it's so hard to go to the board to convince, hey, there's a VR company we want to invest in. It's like, why VR? We are Volvo, we're building cars, right? And then finding the right use cases and building a community around the tool, like, design, manufacturing, like I really wanted to build this pipeline across the whole chain. So from early concept to UX research, to R&D, to ergonomics, to marketing, to manufacturing, right? And it was interesting that we built with, we, we work with the startup as if it was our team. Like we work together on the product, we build a product together. So the Vario XR1, which was the most advanced uh, mixed reality headset. I mean, you see Vision Pro has heavy influences from Vario. Uh, I asked them once, this is really cool, but can I drive with it? And I said, you're crazy. What do you mean? It's like latency is like 40, 50 milliseconds. And then two weeks later, they came like, hey, test it now. And imagine that we had like this AX90 full of computers in the back duct tape. I put the headset on and I was driving around 140 per hour um, with the headset on. And I built this thing that I called Tinder for designers, 
meaning that you drive and you can swipe between dashboards and car models as you drive. And then you can take navigation from the central stack and put it as a head-up display. And then in Figma from the back seat, can ask the designer, hey, move the blinker icons five pixels to the left. And then imagine this now after a few years with large language models and voice assistants, where you, you know, you reduce the feedback loop. You save money off, you know, the iterations. You have more quality. And I always believe that by using the same tools, you speak the same language. So kind of for the first time, designers and engineers work together because we knew what we were talking about. It's like, send me this in this format and then you open that scene and you build it like this and I'll code this, right? So we started to collaborate better because we used the same tools between design and R&D. Um, we filed a few patents on it, right? Like driving with the headset, we were able to test like a moose crossing the road in front of you and your brain gets tricked. You think that it's a real moose and the car thinks it's a real moose so the car will break, right? So we can test those scenarios as well. And with that, I think it exploded all over. We were even at Adam Savage untested. We went all over the news. We were touring. I mean, even now after four years, I'm still touring around the world to talk about that project because it's <laughs> it's been great. Well, it, yeah. it, it sounds super exciting. And like, what was your scare level? When you were driving uh, the car, you mentioned 140 kilometers per hour. Yeah, Volvo is mad if I say this, but yeah, it was it wasn't a test track. Uh, of course, was, let's say it was a yeah. fast speed. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, I mean how, the, the how, reason how, why how I was. How did you feel? Um, first, I thought it'd be worse, but it's so crazy how fast your brain adapts. And I was reading this book from Don Norman of thinking with complexity and the design of everyday things. It's like how some of the tasks and cogn our cognition gets fooled, you know, through iterations. And the thing after two minutes, I forgot that I was in VR because my brain compensated for the imperfections or for limited field of view or something. But of course, we had safety measures. We had also a driver in the back that could take the wheel. And, you know, so we did it in a test environment. But for me, that moment was crucial. It was like, and just being able to to be in this car and the car that you worked for the f four years ago on a whiteboard, you're able to drive it like from the whiteboard on the road, you know, instead of waiting seven years, because these are the life cycles, yeah. right? When you design a car till it's produced. Takes and, quite some time. Yeah, and imagine like just working on something or just being able to drive it as it would be in the future. And now actually the car has been launched uh, a few months ago, the EX90, and seeing that that's the car that we worked on it for so long and then and, and doing all these uh, adjustments and yeah. Make it really perfect. Yeah. yeah. And then, then another thing is like, the way we were doing with the innovation department. And that, that's also a great example why I said that this project should be a template on how things should be done, is that we also work with Unity and NVIDIA as partners. And also I learned in a group, like how, how do we activate the 
collective intelligence of the whole group and department to bring new ideas and um, doing it in an ambidextrous way with left hand okay we build these tools to help the company build better cars or faster or more efficient and in the same time with the right hand is like okay now that you trust us leave us alone for six months and we'll explore how we can use this in entertainment what if we work with universal and disney and you know you can drive through the jurassic parks theme park or something right so it's like we were able to play a bit outside of the box because we because of that trust. trust yes yes this this is a great example and like I definitely see the big impact in the manufacturing, but what are some of the other pieces where you think virtual and augmented and mixed reality can play a big game in the mm. future? What are you excited the most about? I mean, not only the design and production part, as you say, but consumer thing. Like for instance, we stayed a bit away from the metaverse thing. Uh, but in the same time, the way we were thinking about it, well, it's a really fertile soil for storytelling, meaning that you can find new ways for the community to interact with your brand and values without interacting with the product necessarily, right? And you have great examples from Nike and DressX and others that managed to activate that in a, in a nice way. And I think bringing value, like really personal stories or experiences to to the consumers right like being able to to use perspectives one thing about vr what i got why i got in love with it i mean first time was when i was in part of the eye tracking company that we sold to meta i met palmer lucky that gave me a quest kit uh this was like long long ago like 2011 maybe before, <laughs> and it was duct tapey. They don't really work all the time. But what I realized, the part of that technology is that I'm an introvert, but also a storyteller. So to captivate you or a person is as I take the CEO of Volvo and I put the headset on his head, he becomes a toddler. Toddlers first time look at their hands. People in VR the first time they try to see if they see their hands. Then I have to teach them how to walk. It's like, hey, teleport or walk here, but don't trip on the cables. Don't touch that. You know, move in a safe way. And they become to control the experience and the narrative. So then, of course, they'll see a car. They'll evaluate it. Oh, this is great job. When they take the headset off, we connect on equal terms. It's like, dude, don't forget, I saved you from tripping <laughs> two minutes ago or like so you're able to change perspective so then i kind of moved a bit above or away from only doing the tools for the sake of efficiency or you know just technology or because it's complex or challenging but also for storytelling like if we work with strategies and you know i told you that we work with alex mcdowell who made minority report and fight club and he's a futurist and world builder and you know he's the og person in that space and what i learned from you know working with him is like the way you can change perspective and lenses so 
a CEO to think like an engineer or like a CEO to think like a consumer in Jakarta in 2050. And you put them in that scenario. So it's like, I don't think uh, EX90 electric Volvo could be on a street in Jakarta in 2050. So what else can Volvo do? Can we get into healthcare? Can we do this and that, right? So painting them a black mirror, but also a white mirror episode. So it's like, which one are we choosing? Here's the data. Here are the prediction. Here are the trends. Right, but also here's the emotional experience that moves and makes you make a decision. And I think that's super powerful, like engaging with those type of narratives and stories. So when we ask the question, what uh, the future holds for us uh, and similar, I think that you might be one of the better positioned people to answer how you see it with your own eyes. What, how do you? expect the world in terms of technology to mm. change over the mm. next several decades what are some of the things that you feel are going to happen i think there'll be even a bigger shift of like cross domains or you know that it's not like i, I think we should move away from only technology or like efficiency in building infrastructure as we did since industrial era. Um, to be able to change or nudge behavior for the big goals that we have, right? I think we need better stories. We need collective imaginated futures. We need to build the same vocabulary to describe the future we want. I'm both excited and scared about the future, right? Because I saw, you know, I've been there, right? Like with the time machine, no. But it's... It's the Black Mirror episodes, right? Yeah, those ones, right? And when you realize that it's not so far-fetched and it's so fragile, like the future is so fragile because some of the things are as a small policy or decision that can, you know, restrict certain freedoms or certain freedoms can actually be painful for us on the long run, right? And we, we see that a lot in society. And I always like, the reason why I always like to be in the future and try to push the boundaries of technology is, is like, I do it till a point I'm getting scared of it. And then I take a few steps back and say, well, this might go really wrong. So. What do we do? How do we build strategies that protect us from getting there, right? And then going, for instance, to EU or public institutes or so on and propose, hey, you need to prepare and build not necessarily policies or investment strategies around this, but like we need to enable a human to aspire for better things than, you know, getting stuck in that loop. And some of these cartoons and movies, like one of the scariest things is like, you know, Adventure Time, like the cartoons, there is like a dystopic scene there where everyone was in a capsule with the headsets and they're like working in real life to work in the virtual one. And they're like so stuck in that things, like almost like machines, right? And that's when we become machines because we're so embedded with technology and there's no emotion. I think that's super dangerous. And you mentioned that uh, you go to a point where you pretty much get scared and then you take a 
couple of steps steps back. But what are some of the areas where you actually are on the opposite side? What are some of the areas where you get really, really excited? Mm, art and design. I think that's also kind of the the things that I, we started on the side with with the studio um, that we try to work also with fields like architecture, fashion, and so on. And there are the fields where I always felt a misfit, right, or not welcome to the table of architects or designers because I'm not designer by training, but I do love design, right? And then those areas excite me a lot because I do think that those areas, together with technology, can you know being able to design better experiences and interactions and human-centric design while having planetary center, you know, so how do we find that balance, right? And art in the sense of narratives and stories, like to help us aspire for those values or systems or scenarios. So for me, that gives me a lot of excitement. And when I can intersect them in one point, that it's for me like the most valuable thing when I see science, engineering, design, art, like just in that focal point, how they converge. That's my, my favorite part. How do you manage being in charge of innovation at Volvo and at the same time having your own studio uh, to go outside of automotive and look at the all of the other things uh, where you could deploy your creativity and experience with the point labs. Yeah, the, the thing at Volvo, it's not, we don't have like a charge. We made it as uh, non-hierarchical as possible. Like we lead by example. So we are several leaders that take, you know, that vision and, push through it and then we definitely push through the example right yeah yeah and and with that is kind of more of nurturer or caretaker right like you set the right conditions for innovation to happen um and practice what we preach right you need to go there and code as well for others to you know believe in it then i think the stuff um on the like the the studio, the point labs, and it comes from that (laughs) point, started with uh, Denisa, my partner, like we, she's an architect. And then we were discussing about like this dream incubator, like imagine this place, like the new immersive Bauhaus, the new, where we can work with these technologies, but challenge, you know, the most conservative things because yeah, automotive, it's a conservative industry, but it's not the most conservative, I think architecture, real estate, fashion, they're even more conservative than automotive. You think fashion is more conservative than automotive? Yeah. You perceive it as creative and open and free, but like in tooling for a designer to move from a sketch to an iPad and now from iPad to whatever, Chloe or Marvelous or these tools and to do things in VR and virtual fashion, it's like insane big steps, right? I mean, the activations that are happening, it's mostly brand activations, you know, that it's like on the commercial side. But if you speak with designers, and I think that's the point where I actually stop being obsessed with the tools or building tools for the sake of it. When at Volvo, 
there's this clay modeler and you know i was coming with the narrative oh vr can replace clay models and we can save costs and so on and there's like this old little guy with the carving knife and almost crying and looking at me it's like hey please don't take this from me because this is the only thing that makes me feel like an artist or like a designer that contact of taking and carving through the clay model and so on right so it's not always about the efficiency yeah, it's and, not, and it's not for everyone right to be relying on the technology sometimes no, no. people just want to do things with hands they want to feel it and um so where do you think the ideal balance is between like leveraging the technology for our benefit but also not being too much caught up with things so we lose the sense of the real world yeah that that i think it's a it's a really good point and like in, in the sense of in all this pursuit of efficiency not losing empathy for the human like when i do my lectures i ask the students what's your dream what do you want to do right and like oh i want to build schools i want to take vr in south africa and here and here and there and i asked them when did you hug your mom the last time i said like, oh you know me and my mom we don't really talk to each other we we're like and it's like well if you can't go over and i understand you know like there are those scenarios where it's like abuse or something like we don't go there i understand right But if you can go over the most basic things and closest to you, right? How do you think you'll have the guts and resilience to go through all those hardships, to go in those hard environments and try to save the world if you can save the world around you too? You know, your world model in that sense. So I challenge them a bit like that. What's in your hand now that you can do now with the tools that are there? to to make a dent or a change and then progressively you know build that so recognize your season recognize who you are in this moment and who you can be because as Neri Oxman in the podcast with Lex Friedman a few weeks ago and she was saying about this faith is the intersection of who you are and who you want to be and that's also the same with the tools that you have in your hand and why you can do today and for me that was a hard lesson because i was so lost in the future always and i had this um hard discussion with my co-founder this week where we had to be in a vulnerable point and just point out something and say wow sometimes i'm so lost in the super long term game and strategy because i calculate the risk but i don't realize how it affects the ones around me sometimes get lost in my blurry visions and they're like hey, but what are we doing now you know tomorrow what well, how do we put it in practice and it's such a hard balance to do right like okay this is the tools that we have so let's see what we can build now yeah is that related to what you said uh, initially about uh, the song uh, and basically no being realistic with uh, uh things that are happening just you know yeah. to bring you down uh yeah. to earth a little yeah. bit more yeah. yeah exactly yes what are some of the 
projects outside of automotive uh, that you focus on with uh, the point labs where uh what is the span of uh i assume it's pretty wide but what is the span of what uh you are trying to tackle so we set up as a venture studio so we do experiment a lot we took a lot of inspiration for space 10 mit media lab oxman uh norsken like a lot of innovation design offices and we try to understand hey what wh- what's our specific flavor right because we do work with um cognitive science and interaction design but we also do virtual spaces and narratives we build stories right so these are the tools that help us build those stories for specific institutions or brands but those stories are to inform strategy so we go for instance to eu or a museum or public institute and say hey this this is how the future looks like and we do some diegetic prototypes from the future and can this inform your innovation strategy on this 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 these are the trends this is the data this is the futures um so those are some of the projects more on the high level strategic but hands on we build virtual experiences we're building like a perfume company now uh we're also doing an art piece together with the studio from Istanbul called Ouch they are doing like uh, ai sculptures based on super complex uh, data for instance from nasa from cern um we're actually working on a project that i can mention now it's still under uh nda will be something super big coming in a few months and it is well, stay tuned yes it is exactly that art science engineering design we take complex data from cern about the observable universe and uh about the human genome and then they're represented by uh ai sculptures like generative ai in a simple form as a cube so all this complex data that we as humanity know about ourselves and the universe in a simple object as a cube and in mixed reality with the latest vario you're able to interact with it and based on your emotions it kind of reflects a bit of some parameters there uh that kind of nudges your specific behavior and it's an art manifest we premiered the teaser at can for Thierry Breton like the uh, commissioner um for uh, media and technology on EU and we showed this is an example of how we as startups company studios work together already so if you want to help to fertilize the soil for us to continue working and bring leadership in Europe uh in terms of technology in terms of art in terms of culture this is an example it's an artifact right so it's a discussion opener yeah so th- those are some some of the projects i can talk about uh other than that um there are some interesting upcoming projects also with virtual architecture and fashion but a lot on the story like you know again 2050 2070 scenarios and wow. that's that's our spot well i would love to ask you about uh, some of the recent trends in the tech space of course vision pro yeah. is uh, to be launched early next year Mm. at least it seems like 
um, you are very close to the world of mixed reality, spatial computing, and all of that. You've been uh, in that space for quite a while. What do you think is going to happen, and what do you think of the quality of the device itself? Mm. I think um, it it will start a new season or batch of designers that will again uh, combine fields, uh, going probably a bit better to the core, like human cognition, like affordances, and you know how you interact. So basics of interaction design and building on it again for a new device and new paradigm like tangible computing contextual ux and this now with ai where you can personalize the content to be there at a certain time in a specific way to enable you to a lot of things uh new forms of entertainment right like having virtual influencers or musicians playing in your living room and um i think that's super interesting like the whole uh transmedia space right where you have characters that are on netflix but they are part of a game as well and you can interact with them do you think they would uh, also possibly influence your comeback as a musician <laughs> i was thinking because i mean during covid i was thinking like how can i play music right with my friends but in a different way right? you still do that for fun not as much as i want No, but I want to go back to it in a way of now, for instance, putting up a concept together, so more conceptual and experimental where we can do also visualization and projections with music and yeah. There's one more trend that I wanted to cover. We talked a lot about virtual reality and mixed reality, but especially this year, Mm. Seems like it's the year of uh, artificial intelligence. Uh, a lot of things are happening at an extremely rapid pace. Mm. It's happening at a pace that me personally, I don't even want to be predicting what's going to be happening a couple of years from now, because I don't know what's happening tomorrow. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, technology is becoming so helpful. And uh, mm. it's making so many things so much easier. Yeah. That I uh, find it extremely powerful. And how does that all play into the mix for you with what's happening in AI? I think it is exciting, but also a lot of noise. Um, there's a friend of mine, Robert Scobble, he used to be like a tech journalist and he posted once on Twitter that AI plus human beats AI AI plus AI beats human (laughs) human plus human is not beating AI right so it's like this equation so learning how to work with it not against it or you know uh, and what I see is that even though it lowers the threshold in many points I do think it's still we still need curatorship because we as humans we can deal with freedom like like if you have all the tools in the world like if you ask BRK Ingels the architect what do you build in the desert with no constraints they would know what to tell you if you put a blank paper in front of an artist they they won't start sketching right away it's you know you get creative blank 
And I could see the differences between, for instance, my co-founder, Denisa, where she's architect by training and the way she uses mid-journey for concepting or the way I'm using mid-journey where I'm like, okay, uh, Pope in a red Ferrari. I was like, oh, wow, it's cool. <laughs> they make it style of Studio Ghibli, but it's not, it's mediocre, right? It becomes like, and you could see what designers can do if they can articulate the process and know how and where to use it in the process. I think it brings a lot of value, but otherwise it can, if you don't have the foundations, it kind of in, unlocks a lot of mediocrity. So I tell my students, they're like, hey, can we use ChatGPT or this and this in the course or assignment? It's like, well, of course you can. I mean, I generated some of your slides that I'm teaching you with, but you can pretend that you're part of the class and I'll give you, I pretend that I give you an assignment. You pretend that you do it. I pretend that I read it. You pretend that you're graduating and I pretend that I'm hiring you down the line. So... Do you want to use <laughs> ChatGPT completely or do you want to build the foundations? And then, of course, use it for efficiency, for stupid things that take a lot of time, right? But not for the main creative act because we do have finite attention. And if you send me an image, hey, Timmy, look at what, what I did. is like this cool song uh, with AI or I did this rendering. Uh, what do you think? And I'll be, oh, cool. And then I'll try to make my own, but I'm not consuming yours as I would do with something that it's more human in the loop or more emotion into it, right? Because I don't see as much value. So like on this podcast, not investment advice with Jack Butcher, they were talking about, you know, the Drake song, right? I'll listen to it once because I'm curious what AI can do, but it's not a banger. I, I won't listen to it nonstop as I listen to Sultans of Swing or something, right? Like is not the same not necessarily quality but connection i do feel disconnected from all this you feel like you need to feel the perceived effort that was put into it uh... i think it's about curatorship right because deciding what not to do and what to do and it's programmed and really polished content right like there was this article is it art if it's put in a museum or what, what does it make it art, right? And I, and I wrote once this article on LinkedIn that went viral, like, dear design students, you're not artists. And that exploded a lot, right? It's like, art is about the artist and design is about the user, like, you know, how, how they are impacting. One is bringing solutions, one is asking better questions. And for me, how, like the depth of, you know, the AI generated things, they all start to look the same for me, right? My whole Twitter feed is just art that looks the same. And that's a bit the danger because it misses emotion. It misses aff affection. It misses memory or things that you connect to a specific thing for a specific reason, right? So would you agree with the statement that when something is generated by AI, there is a higher likelihood that it will miss soul? Mm. I think it's a too much of a level of sub subjectivity in that to say, because maybe one of those images connects with you on a deeper level for different reasons, right? Like based on your core memories or a specific color palette that reminds you of, 
you know, a movie that you saw as a kid or something. So there are, there are actually a few AI artists that I like a lot, right? Because they give me a specific vibe. Uh, but if the vibe is the same all over and it's kind of mediocre, then it misses the soul for me. Yeah. And uh, as we speak about AI, what are some of uh, your go-to tips uh, how to leverage it or for example what uh, uh, for what do you use chat gpt on mm. your daily basis if anything i stopped I, i used it quite a lot before but i stopped using it because i realized it becomes dumber and dumber the more i use it and then i kind of force myself in the process to abide by its frame Right. So then, for instance, if you work in Maya or Figma, you work in a certain way. If you take a pencil and a paper, you work differently. Right. So then you constrain a bit yourself. You need to phrase things in a way and prompt it to get to expect something, but then dilutes a bit of the creative and design process in that sense. But I think what is really good at is mixing concepts that we don't see obvious So for instance, one thing I do is like, okay, combine the uh, Amazon uh, horizon innovation, the cone of possibilities framework with uh, this McKinsey framework and with Alex McDowell world building and futuring. Uh, bring me this, this, this. And then it comes up with really interesting things that I don't see as obvious, right? And it forces me to think out or... Yeah, and I think for that it's super valuable. Uh, but other than that, like there was once, for instance, with a partner of mine, we were building stories for a dev team, but we also ended up working on those stories, right? And if you build the acceptance criteria and <laughs> the, the uh, user story with ChatGPT and then you use ChatGPT to answer them, it's like, dude, we work for AI. This is so bad. Right. <laughs> It's like, yeah. If nothing else, what will be two to three things that you would like people tuning in to this podcast to take away from it? I think going back to some of the core dreams, like I think if we lose the sense of why we do things, no matter how noble it is, uh, it will destroy us. Like, I think we, we need to get hold of our personal why and then the collective, right? Like, how, how do we work in, in a collective or community? Um, second one is using the same tools, build a certain vocabulary that enables us to collaborate in a better way. Um, and the third one I think think a bit of the long game as well. Like what what I do feel the past few years and also with uh, AI and automation and efficiency, we are losing a bit of the human soul, as you mentioned before. And for me, that's imperfections. Like I learned over the years to manage imperfections. For me, it's like I can pick up a detuned guitar and I can still play it because I adapt. And for me, that's human. Like for me, that's 
emotional that creates some connection and i think for instance with all this web3 and nfts and cryptos we um this is this incentivized long-term thinking everyone understood that oh i can do short wins here and there right <laughs> but then you're not doing anything long-term like also in design how do you make something that lasts how do you make you know something that over generations people will talk about that's why for instance i got back to the roots i went to bauhaus and learn how did they build that school like how do we build a studio around that elements or an innovation group or yeah you're a flip out i mean thank you so much for taking the trip and uh visiting me in prague and joining the podcast i had a blast and yeah thanks again for a wonderful discussion thank you for the invitation thank you thank you so much for listening or watching to the very end i hope it can only mean one thing that you liked it and if you did please go ahead and follow subscribe or write a review and it will be tremendously appreciated by our side in the meantime there are a bunch of other episodes that you can check out and i'll be looking forward to catching you next time